So in this episode, I'm going to talk about why Mao Zedong mercilessly killed off all the sparrows that he could find in China in the 1950s and 60s. Stay tuned. In a world of incompetent bosses, micromanagers, and petty tyrants, one management professor claims that he can help you become the kind of leader that you would want to follow. You are listening to The Leader Smith. Now, here is your host, Darren Gertis. Okay, so in the 1950s and 60s, China was going through the cultural revolution and the great leap forward in the 50s and into the cultural revolution of the 60s. Uh, and along the way, they did something it's hard to even fathom. Uh, they killed off all the sparrows. Um, and I'm going to explain why, but really I want to frame this uh, two ways. First, I've been reading a lot about uh, the cultural revolution um, I, I've also read about the French Revolution, what was going on in, in Soviet communism in uh, in Russia with Solzhenitsyn, the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution in China. I'm in, knee deep in a fascinating book about that right now because I see a lot of really interesting parallels like pulling down statues and all kinds of things that are just, it's just bad. Okay. At any rate, that's the backdrop that got me here. But then I also want to frame this as this is about leadership, right? And we're talking about making correct decisions as you move forward, having foresight, that kind of thing. And so I want you to see it through that lens primarily. Okay. So there is this, I've watched documentaries about this. I'm reading books about it, but there's one particular article that I'll post below that gives a very good synopsis of this. It was called China's Worth Worst Self-Inflicted Environmental Disaster, the Campaign to Wipe Out the Common Sparrow. And I'll post that below. Okay, so at any rate, it's the late 1950s. China is going through the Great Leap Forward, and uh, Chairman Mao has been trying to convert China. This this is exactly what they did in the Soviet Union, right? From an agrarian uh, agrarian society rather into a industrial society, right? And we're going to be this industrial powerhouse. And so, one of the things that he does is he takes away private land ownership and puts people on common in communes in order to, you know, industrialize these this agricultural production. That's not going to work, but he doesn't know that yet. Um, along the way, in 1958, China orders the extermination of several pests, including sparrows, because, hey, these pests are getting in the way. And it's true, you know, pests do get in the way and they eat crops and things along those lines and they bother people. So who is targeted? Well, mosquitoes. I don't have any great sympathy for mosquitoes. Flies. OK. Rats. OK. And sparrows. Okay, now the sparrows one is the one that's the strange one in the mix because um, we look at them like, what, what's wrong with sparrows? Well, um, Chairman Mao decides that the four pests should be killed. He decided that because there was one of his scientists who um, uh, you know, convinced him that the common sparrow would eat something uh, 4.5 kilograms worth of grain each year. That's about nine pounds of grain. So if each sparrow is eating about nine pounds of grain each year, that's enough food for every million sparrows killed. You can feed 50, 60,000 people. And so Chairman Mao orders that uh, the people of China should go and kill these four pests, including the common sparrow. 
And, you know, I mean, it was, it's ridiculous what they were doing. They were like, they sent out people to go out into the fields and shoot down sparrows or uh, bang pans and pots and pans together. So that the sparrows would have no rest until they like actually just fell out of the sky because they were so tired. (laughs) And like, I mean, I'm not making this up. You can, you can read about it. Um, And so they, they felt particularly victimized by this particular bird because of, you know, how much green they ate. Okay. So they declare this, this like war on the sparrow and the other, um, you know, the fly and the mosquito and the rat. Um, And so they're pretty successful. They kill hundreds of thousands of these uh, of sparrows and um, they, they, they marshal propaganda, like a statewide, think about a state run state driven propaganda campaign to kill the sparrow. It's your glorious duty. I mean, that's the kind of thing that was going on. And so they go out and kill the sparrow. There's an account from in this article from a Shanghai newspaper in, and I'm going to read little clips of it in the Jingqing district. They produce more than 80,000 scarecrows and more than a hundred thousand colorful flags overnight in the city and the outskirts. Almost half the labor force was mobilized into the anti-sparrow army. Okay, stop. If you're using half, your labor force to go kill sparrows something went very very wrong somewhere for you okay your labor force should be doing what labor force should be doing that's creating generating value not killing sparrows anyway okay let me keep going a little bit further down in that article the nanyang girls middle school rifle team received training in the techniques for shooting birds by 8 p.m tonight it's estimated that a total of 194 432 sparrows have been killed well, okay, so if there's an estimate that 194, 432, if that's an estimate, somebody's fudging the number somewhere. But nonetheless, and, and this is the kind of thing that happens, right? So they're they're mobilized to go do this, and they, they make up things along the way. So they probably overinflated the numbers, but they were killing tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of sparrows, maybe millions of sparrows. Ultimately, they didn't realize that sparrows are important and sparrows are actually as much their friend as their enemy. Now, what happens in April of 1960, they started to realize that um, while sparrows eat grains, they also eat insects and insects eat grains. Okay, it's particularly things like locusts. Okay, so uh, in the the article, I said, and without the sparrows to curb the insect population, crops were getting decimated. Agricultural yields that year were disastrously low. Now, the agricultural yields were disastrously low for two reasons. One, the lack of sparrows. But two, they were disastrously low because they were on communes and they had no private incentive to actually make things. So it changed the dynamic radically. But between these two factors, okay, and both of these are, are issues of foresight from the leader. And when the leader makes the mistake, the people starve. Okay, so Mao declared full stop to the great sparrow campaign. Okay, so he realizes, uh oh, this this wasn't actually the greatest idea. Replacing the birds with bedbugs in the four four pest naughty list. Okay, so you know nobody likes bedbugs. Okay, but (laughs) um, what happened was that locusts actually swarmed the countryside, and this is right out of the article. Things got so bad that the Chinese government started importing sparrows from the Soviet Union right? All the sparrows that they killed, they had to go get more sparrows to repopulate so that they would help knock down some of these other pests like the locusts who were eating all the food. Now, here's, and this is terrible. There were millions of people that starve, 
right? I mean, because of these bad decisions, millions of people starve. Uh, and it's, it's terrible because, I, I mean, you think about what the leaders did. They were trying to do something well, but because they weren't informed. And now, listen, um, Mao was informed by a particular Chinese scientist or a set of Chinese scientists about what sparrows were doing, but there were dissenting voices that said, no, don't do this. But they couldn't speak up more than, you know, once they're so, no, I'm not going to do that. They couldn't continue to rail against the system because if they did, they could be killed or exiled or sent to a gulag or something along those lines. So you got to be careful when you're in power, when you're the leader in power, those dissenting voices are the ones that you need to listen to most Okay, because if you don't listen to them, some bad things can happen. You don't want to just hear, oh, yes, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best. Okay, so they had a a famine, an estimated 30 million people died of starvation. To put that in perspective, that's double the number of Chinese killed by the Japanese in World War II. Okay, so this is this is just all bad. Double the number killed in by the famine that was completely avoidable than those that died in World War II. Okay, so this leads us to our quotation for contemplation for today. And the quotation for contemplation today is about foresight. And I'm telling you, it's so important that you understand that as a leader, you have to think down the line and think about what's around the corner and think through all these issues, because if you get it wrong, your people pay the cost. Very often, it's not the leader at the top or the team of leaders, the executive team that gets the axe. It's the people at the bottom that get the hammer for whatever has happened from their misjudgment. Okay, so the quote comes from a guy named Carl Schroeder. I don't know who Carl Schroeder is, good, bad, or ugly, but his quote is great. He said this, foresight is not about predicting the future. It's about minimizing surprise. And I think that's right. You have to be able to calculate as much as possible. You can't, you're not, you're you're never going to be able to predict exactly like it's going to roll out, but to minimize the surprise as much as possible, that's the job of foresight. And that's what Chairman Mao didn't have. And his system was geared as a dictator. His system was geared to not to prevent him from being able to get the information that he needs so that he like his system is perfectly geared to let him do whatever he wants. That's what dictators want but his system was not geared to keep him from running off the rails. And that's what you need as a leader. You need that, those checks and balances to keep you doing what you need to be doing in in order to make the system work or to, to protect your people or keep the system running or whatever. All right. So I hope that when you think about this, you are thinking about what's necessary for foresight, but also what's necessary for you as a leader to get the information that you need to have the proper foresight. And I hope that this lesson here helps you become the kind of leader that you would want to follow. Thanks for listening. 